Amen. Would you do me a favor? If you have a Bible or the Bible on your phone, would you turn or swipe to Psalm 121? We're taking a little bit of time this summer to look at Psalms for the journey. And these Psalms in particular are the 15 songs of ascent. So if you imagined we had an album or a CD that had 15 tracks or 15 songs, last week we kicked it off with a very, like, moody and ominous song that kind of set the tone for the rest of the record. And that song talked about how I'm a long way from where I want to be, but I'm headed there now. Because every one of these songs has some movement and momentum to them. These 15 songs of ascent are ascending both topographically, ooh, we don't hear that word often, topographically talking about the terrain and elevations as well as spiritually. Because most scholars believe that these songs were sung by pilgrims on their journey to the temple, on the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to worship God together at the big festivals like Passover. You remember commemorating Moses in the Red Sea or the Feast of Tabernacles? These festivals that were celebrated in Jesus's day and beyond by the Jewish people. These were the songs that were the road trip mixtape on their journey up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem sat on a hill, so it's topographic, but it's also spiritually because they're songs for our journey toward God. You with me on that? So if that's the album we're looking at, and last week was the opening track, track two, Psalm 121, is destined for the greatest hits record. Psalm 121 may be in the top five of all the Psalms as far as most beloved and cherished for Jews and Christians alike. We're going to see this evening that it's so good, it may actually sound too good to be true. We're going to look at this Psalm that is a reassurance in the uncertain journeys we face. What can we be certain of in an uncertain journey through life? Let's look at one of the most beloved psalms in all 150, the second song of ascent. And tonight I'm going to read in a translation called the Common English Bible. Many of you may not be familiar with it, but I chose this because the way it translates this psalm is fascinating and accurate, and we'll tell you why later. But for now, let's hear Psalm 121 in the Common English Bible. It'll be there on the screen as we look together. Psalm 121, a pilgrimage song. I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip. Your protector won't fall asleep on the job. No, Israel's protector never sleeps or rests. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade right beside you. 
The sun won't strike you during the day, neither will the moon at night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. God will protect your very life. The Lord will protect you on your journeys, whether going or coming, from now until forever, from now. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. What a psalm. No wonder it's destined for the greatest hits. It's a psalm that is a psalm of reassurance in our journeys. How many of you have taken a road trip this summer? I know a lot of you have been traveling. You've done a few of you? I am one who has taken a lot of road trips in a lot of old cars. And let me tell you how fun that is. And you'll never realize just how old your car is until you're sitting in the driver's seat and you're thinking to yourself, I'm about to drive how long? So I have a ritual where I try to prep as much as I can. We got to check the tires. We got to change the oil. We got to make sure that everything is in proper working order. So I prep. Then what do we do, girls? As soon as we are driving away, we are praying. We are praying. And the girls may kind of roll their eyes because I'm talking out loud in our van or our old Saturns like we used to roll in. But I am desperately in great faith in the name of Jesus Christ willing this vehicle in Jesus' name to make it the whole way. I am praying, y'all. But then what I do quietly is like every 10 miles, I praise God because I'm like, okay, no nails, no flats, the car started again after Bucky's. You know what I'm talking about, Sinclair's. Every stretch, when they're all asleep and abandoning me in my post, I'm praising God for every stretch. I've prepped, I'm praying, I've praised, but here's the cheesiest I have to confess to you. I will literally, what am I doing with the dashboard? What a, they know. I'm petting the dashboard. I'm saying, come on, baby, you're doing great. Keep on, baby. Because I know that God listens, and I hope my car is listening to me, that we really appreciate her and all that she's done. We've done a lot of road trips with old cars, and especially in the old cars, you're really <laughs> certain of the uncertainties that it invites on these road trips. I've had many a blowout, many a weird, crazy car not starting. Broncos had some stories with their trailer last year. The Browns have had stuff with their trailers. You get what I'm saying. That's why this psalm, when you're talking about the journey, when you're talking about uncertainties, this is pointing to something certain, and it almost, as I said before, sounds too good to be true. The psalm opens in verse 1 with a famous line, I lift my eyes up, is probably how you're most attuned to hearing it. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? This is interesting because a lot of folks are wondering, what does this songwriter really mean? Some think that they're looking to the mountains because they're wondering if there's shadowy figures lurking in the places that will attack them. It's uncertainties. Other scholars think that this person is looking to the mountains not for threats but for reinforcements. 
I think about the Lord of the Rings when they're having one of those epic battles at the end of the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit movies. And like just when you think that they're done for, all of a sudden some random fantasy army starts running down the mountainside and it gives them the burst they need to do it. Some people think he's looking to the mountains for some reinforcements. Others think that he's looking to the mountains because in the time of this original setting, a lot of religions of the day took place in mountains thinking they could uh, harness the power of the great and beautiful mountains, but it was also where some strange sacrifices and cultic kinds of worship would happen. Take all of those together and you have one thing for certain. He's looking to the mountains either for threats or reinforcements or for some shadow, half-baked religion. But one thing is sure. Verse 2 says, I know my help actually comes from the Lord. Whether the threats are going to besiege me or whether uh, I'm going to trust in any other thing, or whether I go to some half-baked help, I'm reminded in verse 2 that God is the one that I can really depend on. Verse 1 is a way of looking around that we all do when you start to get into the driver's seat of your life, and you realize in that sinking moment, oh man, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it the next 10 miles. You look around the corner and you realize how uncertain the next few steps may be. What is it in your life that you're staring down in this moment that you're looking toward and you realize this is tough? Would you take a moment to really think Maybe write it down if you're a note taker. What is it that's lying ahead? Now the second question. Can you say with as much confidence as the psalmist, oh yeah, oh yeah, my help comes from the Lord. Or who's your first phone call you make? What's that thing that you have in the back of your head that says, well, at least I have blank. It's not that those things are wrong. It's just that those things are not as ultimate and certain as God, which is why the psalmist goes on the rest of the song to talk about how certain this God can be in an uncertain stretch of road that lies ahead. What's interesting is this psalmist was doing a hike, okay? He wasn't driving in a 2014 Dodge Grand Caravan like I am. He was taking a hike. They're going to take a long journey to the mountain of Jerusalem, where the temple is, the hill of Jerusalem. And there were three really concrete threats for his journey that he's going to address in the song. Your foot could slip, number one. Think about it the rocky road and you've got the sandals happening. Y'all have seen the Bible TV shows. Nobody's got Air Force Ones with the high ankle supports. Your foot could literally slip and you're in bad shape. 
What's fascinating is through the psalm, it talks about how the sun and the moon wouldn't harm you by day or by night. There is a literal chance if you're walking upwards of 11 miles a day, your body could overheat. Think about going to the temple with grandma and grandpa in your traveling party. Think about how at Christmas we talk about Mary who was pregnant on a donkey. Ask an eight-month or nine-month pregnant woman, you ready to go on a hike today? The third practical concrete threat is that your worries of what could be could overwhelm you. This is what's remarkable. And Jesus told a famous story that you're familiar with, even if you're not a church-going person, of the Good Samaritan, that along this person's journey, he's robbed, he's attacked. You think about the valley of the shadow imagery in Psalm 23. It is a very real chance, just as it is today, that things can go sideways on your journey. And some people will refuse to drive or refuse to even set off because the anxiety of what could be prevents them from even taking the first step. These are concrete threats. The people that lived a couple millennia ago writing these psalms are no different from you and I. Their mode of transportation has changed. But can you relate to the fact that your foot could slip and your plans could go sideways? You had all the intention to move and clean the house and you tear a quadricep. Or we realize as we age and we grow older that our bodies give out. That each moment, Emma just understood what I was saying. Be kind to your mother. Be nicer than I was just then, okay? We understand that our bodies give out. Have we all been there? And this one is interesting. How many of us, our anxieties just simply get the best of us? We just have a day when all the what-ifs and the worries just overwhelm us. These journeys, while the mode of transportation is different, is the same kind of uncertainties that we can be faced with on a week-to-week -week basis. Which is why Psalm 121 is so beloved, because within these three very practical threats on our journey, we get three concrete, at least three concrete promises from God, our companion on the journey. Look back at the text. We're not going to have it on the screen. If you have it open, would you look and see where you find these baked within that song? We see, number one, that God watches you, watches over you. And I don't think that this is a Santa Claus way. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. This is an active vigilance. God is awake and attentive. I heard a song this week that has just rocked my world. It's powerful. I'll probably share it with you in a few weeks because it seems destined for a sermon <laughs> illustration. But it talks about how in the garden of the Lord, no flower grows unseen and that every bit of water giving life 
to every little bit of love we share, we do. God notices, God pays attention. Carla talked about in VBS Psalm 139, how every hair on our head is uh, numbered and God is aware, God knows us, God watches us. Don't think about Santa Claus. Think about Amy at the pool party with the youth and myself in our new house. We had been there for two days and we've got 20 people in our backyard. We are vigilant. We are watching. God watches you. The second promise is that God covers you. Will's looking at it. You see where he says he will protect you. He'll be your shade in the day in July and August. Amen. Hallelujah. God protects you, number three, these concrete promises. You'll notice on the screen there's an equal sign that says God is our what? Guardian. The reason why I told you I'd tell you we chose the common English Bible is because if you look back through here, you will see the word protector, protector at least six times in this psalm. That's because whether it's watching or covering or protecting, it's all shades of the same Hebrew word, which means to guard, which means to watch, cover, protect. It's active, it's vigilant, and it's throughout this psalm in eight short verses as if to grab you by the shoulders when your body is giving way and your foot is slipping and your anxieties are getting the best of you, to grab you by the shoulders and say, hey, hey, hey. God is here. God sees. God is protecting. He is our protector. He will protect you every step, every moment. God is our guardian on the pathway of our life. If you still have it open, would you look back and see which verse gives you a just a semblance, a shade, a sense of assurance, even now. This week, one of the crafts that we did was um, a promise rainbow. Kristen led this craft where they had um, a puffy cloud. Was it dental floss? <laughs> so you could hang it somewhere? Yes, Lucas knows what I'm talking about. We hung them in either side of our van. And kiddos, what was hanging down from the cloud Verses of promises. Do you remember some of them? You don't have to get them exactly right. Did you remember any of them that are there? What do you think? Ooh, I am the good shepherd. These are wonderful promises. We had them from all over the Bible. And it's okay if you don't remember them. Nora, do you remember one you said? I will never leave you. They had a rainbow of promises going back to God's promise to Noah on each ray of the rainbow that had verses of scripture to remind them of some of the promises we see throughout scripture. And I wonder if you were to make a promise rainbow, do you have enough verses to populate the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet? Miss Josefina, you sent me Romans 8 a couple weeks ago. Would you write down Romans 8? You could find at least 4 billion of them in that chapter alone. <laughs> There's not even 4 billion words, but it's that crazy and beautiful. What is in your promised rainbow? I'm serious. If you've been following Jesus, if you're a student of God's word, 
trying to wrestle with it and unpack it. We sing about the promises of God. You turn on Christian radio and the promises of God, I'll stand abstract concept or are they something church? Standing on the promises of God. Are they an abstract concept or are they something that's in your bones when uncertainty strikes and your foot slips and your body gives and your anxiety is overwhelmed, do you have something in your back pocket to grab onto to stabilize you in life's journeys? And if you don't, can I help you with that? And let's talk about it. Because these texts that are ancient are going to continue to be abstract concepts until we can learn to put our weight on them and find God to be trustworthy enough when and not if Things go sideways. Maybe Psalm 121 can get you started. But here's the struggle. Here's where we need to have some real talk. Because show of hands if your plans have gone awry and your foot has slipped. Show of hands if your bodies have started to give in out. Show of hands if you have days where anxieties get the best of you. You see, you're saying, hey, pastor, our experience tells us that this talk of always and protecting in every moment, well, my experience begs to differ. Thank you very much. You begin to wonder if God is actually asleep. What's fascinating is that one of the, uh, uh, the primary idols of the time was Baal. And Baal was uh, known for taking naps because Baal liked to party. And so the priests would have to wake him up. These cultic priests would do all of their things. And Elijah kind of goes toe-to-toe with them. And he even jokes. He's like, hey, maybe he's asleep. You better be louder and wake him up. And so what's fascinating is you can look at that religion and say, ha, ha, ha. Except when you look at Psalm 7. And they say, wake up, God. Oh, except when you see Isaiah 51. And they say, awake, awake, awake. Oh, then you start to see that even the people of God can have an experience with God that feels like God is asleep on the job. We don't have to do a show of hands, but I think that all of us could, if we really wanted to be real, raise our hands and say, yeah, I felt that. In fact, it's so much a part of the Christian experience that there's a word for it. It's called desolation. The Jesuits, 500 years ago, talked about the experience of the absence or retreat of God. It's so part and parcel of the Christian experience that we can go back even further. Jesus himself experienced this perceived disconnect. Yet, we can also hold, on the other hand, the experience of countless thousands that can bear witness to their own experience of how God has been with them even in the valley of the shadow. Because you could also raise your hand and consider the more than once, the more than twice, the more than three times, the more than five times God has brought you through to this moment right now, even though it didn't go exactly as you planned. I love the poetry of this song that talks about how you have the parallelism of in your um, 
in the daytime and the nighttime. As if to say, no, actually God is attentive and awake in every moment in verse 6. And not only that, it says, and in your coming and going, in your every movement, verse 8. The challenge for an authentic faith to stand in line with the thousands and millions of brothers and sisters who have gone through great suffering yet have experienced great love and transformation is to look at the real lived experience of suffering and struggle and can also in, with a straight face say, but God is still with me. I'm not separated from him. And again, Romans 8, what should we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Says the guy, Paul, who had the world against him when he was in jail. Yet there was something about his experience that says, okay, so should we be like all these other people that are bailing and losing hope and losing heart? Should trouble or persecution or danger or nakedness or famine or sword, should all of these things? He says, no, actually, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because there's something about the certainty of who God is and what God can do that even in the midst of all those threats and certainty grounds you and roots you and you can dare to believe that the foundation of the universe is actually built on sacrificial giving love. And that love is not a concept, it's a person who holds all things together and we know him in the face of Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is the universe one that is only about scarcity and violence and danger? Or is the universe one that is bent toward redemption and reconciliation and hope nonetheless? This is the trouble. And we have to be honest that sometimes our experience leads us to think that God is aloof and asleep. And that's our experience because we cannot see the unseen and reckon with the infathomable God. But we can know enough that the truth is that God is attentive and awake in every moment and in every movement. And perhaps this rudimentary summer illustration can help us think about this. I've used this sort of before, but I was thinking about it this week because, again, we have a pool and uh, we haven't really unboxed most of our stuff. We haven't painted like we want to paint it, but let me tell you, we've been swimming. <laughs> the pool is like our release and escape valve, and we're like, I'm looking around, I'm like, I should do this, I should do this. And all of a sudden, I realize, oh, I'm in the pool. I just wound up in the pool. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. And what's hilarious is. Sometimes we've gotten to a point now where, you know, we've roped off the shallow end and we can just watch Emma and Nora from a few feet away just sitting down because they're strong, safe, and confident swimmers. And I got to thinking, man, they've come a long way. Because there was a moment that, especially with Nora, they'd want to start to jump in and learn this. And we need to, you know, let them literally get their feet wet so we would stand a bit off, except Nora would say, no, no, no. No, closer. Oh, oh, too close. And she would like spend 30 seconds just positioning me perfectly. And then I'd hold my arms out. She goes, too far, too far. Back, back, back. And so then I'm kind of doing this and contorting myself. And then she's ready. So she jumps. Yay, it's fun. 
She goes back. We spend another 60 seconds getting everything just so. She jumps. Yay. Great. Goes back around. We're doing this now 90 seconds because somehow I faltered and we need to get this right until, and you guys know this, until she jumps and it's not yay. It's because her goggles were askew, so water got into her eyes. And she wasn't really prepared, so water shot up her nose. Then she went too deep because I didn't catch her at just the right moment. And all of a sudden, it's done. Swimming is no fun, and everything is ruined. And what's fascinating is I'm thinking about this, watching and trying to go back to that place of them learning to swim. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if, if I had calmed Nora down and pulled her back and out of the pool and said, hey, what happened? Could she honestly say that I abandoned her? Could she honestly say, like, you're not my dad anymore. How could you? <laughs> Did I actively want to harm her? <laughs> I'll show her. Here's my arms. Whoop. Did it go exactly as she wanted it to? She had spent all that time, be here, sit there, no, just, and then, hey, dad, what happened? And we can laugh about this when we're talking about Nora in the pool. But when we're reading Psalm 121 and we start to square it with our experience and we say, okay, wait a minute. Okay, dad, my foot slipped. What can happen is, is a couple things. You've abandoned me. Maybe you're not a good father which is why we got to remind ourselves and sing these kinds of songs. You are good. You are good. Because sometimes our experience and pain can narrow our focus to a point that we begin to doubt that again because it didn't go exactly as we wanted. The second thing that can happen is we say, okay, well, that didn't go right because maybe I jumped weird. What have I done? We all know too many people that are well-meaning, God bless them Christians that want to sit us down and say, I'll tell you why this is happening. You must have done this as if part of the Christian faith is karma and that God is a vending machine. And the reason you got an almond joy instead of a Snickers is because you must have messed it up too bad and God will show you. This is why we can believe, is it too good to be true? And I think what God wants to show us in the person of Jesus is that Jesus was not immune to suffering and struggle and opposition, but Jesus was also in lockstep and on solid foundation with his father. And that even through all the difficulties, Jesus could look at us with a straight face. And even as he's stumbling and falling on his way to the cross, he knows that he is safe and secure in the kingdom of God, even when the world around him is against him. The promise is not that we'll never sprain an ankle. The promise is that no power, problem, or pain along our path will ultimately overtake us. Because our guardian God is our companion each step along the journey. This is the paradox throughout Scripture. To use our pool illustration again, someone lied to you if they told you that you sink down into the waters of baptism and come up and you'll never get water in your nose. 
Someone sold you a bill of goods if following Jesus would make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and here's 10 steps to a successful marriage and career and parenting if you would just follow these seven foolproof principles. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and all those killed, tortured, and threatened would tell you, who promised that? Jesus said himself, in this world you're going to have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He sends us the Spirit of God to reassure us that nothing can separate us. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which unpacks each of these 15 songs of ascent, which is why we quoted him last week, we quoted him this week, and more than likely, Lord willing, I'll quote him again. He says, no literature is more realistic and honest in facing the harsh facts of life than the Bible. At no time is there the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties. What is promised is preservation from all the evil in them. On every page of the Bible, there is recognition that faith encounters troubles. The sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation, which could be trial or trouble, but deliver us from evil. Listen to this. That prayer is answered every day, sometimes many times a day, in the lives of those who walk in the way of faith. Some of you says, no, 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 that's too good to be true. And I'll tell you this, how many billion things had to go right for you to be sitting and breathing in this pew, in this moment, right now? We say this every time a baby is born. Amy and I marvel at the miracle it is for all of these things to go right for one healthy human being to come through. How many trillion things did it take for you to have your job, your body, your family, your support, your moment right now, or did you think you figured all that out on your own? The truth is that there are so many factors at work and the fact that you are alive and breathing and present and, and here with other people in this moment is a miracle and a gift. And that's why we can stand up here every week and say, no matter what you've been through or who you've been, we have reasons to sing because I didn't wake myself up this morning. The one who sustains all things did. And there is a day that I won't but we can even trust that, that's, that that love that bridges and refuses to separate will carry us through even there. There are some moments, not many, but some moments where I, I'm invited to go and visit someone who's very near death. And there have been times where even within this church and this, this stint in ministry that I've gone to um, family members of those who are near death, and they say, would you just go read scripture and pray with them on this threshold between life and death? And the first few times I remember saying, man, well, what am I going to read? And so if you, you, you look up psalms and prayers and blessings, Psalm 121 is showing up all the time. It's still used by rabbis in the Jewish faith because, of course, the psalms and what we call the Old Testament, they just call the Bible. That's their book, too. And so I'm reading this as I'm preparing to go visit someone on hospice, and I'm literally thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, but 
but, but is God always going to, like, they're about to die. Like, like, isn't the sun and moon, like, harming them in whatever sense that means? And I got to thinking, even in that moment, that it can't be too good to be true because God has even promised that death is not the final word. That at Easter we celebrate that Jesus put the world on notice that new creation has broken in and those with eyes to see can see through the cracks of our death and pain and evil and see that there is a light and love stronger than even death. So why do we stop at death and say, that's when God's love and protection and provision ceases. No, perhaps he really does mean what he says in Psalm 121, that God will guide you through. I was thinking of this image, even this week, a phrase came to me. I woke up at 3 a.m. I was thinking about someone going through a difficult season, and I just had this image of a path appears, a path appears, I was like, I feel like that's a title of a book that I've seen and is on my Amazon wish list, and it, and it is. And then I was like, well, what does that mean? Why am I thinking about that? A path appears, thinking about Psalm 121, thinking about this person's journey. And it's a phrase borrowed from a Chinese writer, storyteller, and essayist named Lu Shun. I think I'm going to say that wrong, but that's my best try. It comes from 1921 when he wrote this. Hope is like a path in the countryside. Originally, there's nothing. But as people walk this way again and again, a path appears. Oh, that's where it's from. And I got to thinking about Psalm 121 and thinking about death and thinking about could it be, could it be true? And I think about how Jesus, our pioneer, has walked the path before us. Then when we look at Psalm 23 and we look at Psalm 121 and we look at our experience of feeling at times that God is asleep or abandoned, we know that Jesus has felt this. When we are in the garden, sweating blood, we feel abandoned and our friends are asleep and we're saying, is there any other way? Is there any other option? Jesus felt this. He's walked the path first. And Jesus is able to walk this path Our pioneer was able to walk this way before, certain only that his father is good. He can face all the uncertainty because he was certain that God would get him through the other side. In Hebrews, he says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, in confident trust and expectation that even though Friday was going to be the darkest and most painful day of his life, that he hoped and he trusted that God the Father would be good on his promise and raise him on Sunday. Our pioneer walked the uncertain way before, certain only that his father would not abandon him ultimately. And this is the promise of Psalm 121. This we can be certain of, that in every valley of the shadow, a path appears that Christ has walked before us. And if we keep our eyes open, we will see that God, our guardian, was and is our companion each step of life and beyond. And that his strength is even stronger than death itself. We can trust and sing Psalm 121 with a straight face and hope in our hearts and steady hands 
It's not too good to be true. And if you're not experiencing it today, I won't make any other promises for your life experience tomorrow except that God is love, that Jesus is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is working. You are not done. God is not done. You're not alone. He is with us each step of our journey. Father, we are grateful for this reminder and this time to gather together to hear a story and a word that hopefully rewrites some of the anxieties we carried with us, that I carried with us into this room. We pray that something of your word, something that was heard, would embed itself in our hearts and minds that we might take it with us into this week because we know not what lies ahead, but we trust that the risen Christ has gone ahead of us and that each step on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday is an arrival to a place that you are already standing. And so we go to join you in whatever lies before confident that you love us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.